welcome to the One Pound Movie Podcast. I'm your host Wayne and this is episode 23. If you are returning to this podcast after listening to my other ones, well, welcome back. You know what this is all about and if not, I'm going to tell you. This is your first time here. There are 22 other episodes to go and have a listen to, but if you want to have a listen to this one first, basically what it is, is I've been out to anywhere you can buy a very cheap DVD for a pound or less uh, in the hopes of finding some, you know, unmined gold, basically. Something that um, will cost you less than a pound and is very entertaining. Or, unfortunately, as most of the cases, it deserves to be less than a pound. Maybe free in some cases. But anyway, uh, on episode 23, I will be talking about 2000's Bless the Child. I used to think it was autism, but I'm not so sure anymore. It's as if she's listening to something. Something we can't hear or see. Don't let them get the little girl. She's special. You know that, don't you? That's why they want her. All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Satan's temptation of Christ. He'll try to turn her to his side. If he can't, he'll destroy her. Doesn't it? Something that feels that good can't be wrong. Join us, Cody. Join us. So, Bless the Child from uh, from the year 2000 is a 15 certificate. It is directed by a guy called Chuck Russell. It stars Kim Basinger, Basinger, whichever you want to say, uh, Rufus Sewell, Jimmy Smith and Christina Ritchie. It is a thriller stroke horror and it has a 5.1 on IMDb, a 3% on Rotten Tomatoes. Has a budget of 65 million and it grossed 40 million at the box office. This cost me the princely sum of a one pound, exactly one pound. I'll read you the synopsis now. This is directly from the back of the DVD. So, omens and concepts of good and evil have no place in Maggie O'Connor, Kim Basinger's well-ordered practical universe. Her life revolves around her job as a nurse at a busy New York hospital. That is, until her wayward kid sister, Jenna, Angela Bettis, shows up on her doorstep and saddles Maggie with an autistic newborn child. Cody. Cody quickly becomes the daughter she has always longed for, but six years later, Jenna suddenly re-enters her life, and with her mysterious new husband, Eric Stark, Rufus Sewell, abducts Cody. Maddie discovers that the child possesses extraordinary powers, powers that forces of evil have wanted for centuries to control. Together with an FBI specialist in occult-related crimes, Jimmy Smith, Maggie races to save the life of an innocent girl who may hold the keys to save mankind, or destroy it. Now that is a mouthful, and maybe you don't need to see the film once you've read that synopsis. So a bit about the film. This film was released by Icon Productions and distributed, 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 easy for me to say, distributed by Paramount, 
and Kim Basinger was nominated for a Razzie for a performance. She didn't win, by the way. She was only nominated. This is based on a novel by Kathy Cash Spellman. Uh, no relation to Sabrina. And I looked through her work. I don't know any of her work. And she wrote this book in, I think, 1998, and then never wrote another book till 2016, I think it was. Director Chuck Russell, he has 12 director credits to his name, uh, notably Not Around Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors, and The Blob remake, and the Jim, Jim Carrey's The Mask as well. So this guy has a very, he's a very, oh, and The Rocks, I've just written here, The Rocks, uh, Scorpion King, this guy has a very, you know, weird and varied um, background in film. Uh, he hasn't directed a film since 2003, and he's a co-creator of Darabont, Darabont Freud Russell Productions, uh, which my research yielded only one film, and that was the Tom Cruise Jamie Foxx thriller, Collateral. So, on to Kim Bassinger now, who plays Maggie. She began her career on television in 1976 after moving for, to LA from New York. She has 58 actor credits, including um, being a Bond girl in Never Say Never Again, Tim Burton's Batman, obviously, and her Oscar-winning turn in L.A. Confidential uh, from, I think that's 1998. She was uh, married to Alec Baldwin for 19 years and suffers from crippling agoraphobia uh, that keeps her housebound for up to six months at a time. So that might explain why we only see her occasionally in films. Rufus Sewell, who plays Eric Stark in the film, he's um, a great all-round British actor, to be honest. He's uh, one of the three to five Hollywood go-to leading men, um, you know, alongside people like Alan Rickman, R.I.P. Alan Rickman, Charles Dance and Ian McKellen. You know, you can always get these guys in to be, you know, the nasty Englishman. He has 69 credits uh, to his name, including The Illusionist, uh, The Illusionist, The Holiday, uh, Dark City. His dad was an animator who was famous for doing the Beatles' Yellow Submarine, specifically the Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds segment of that film. And Rufus Seal won an Olivier Award for his role in the stage production of Rock and Roll. Uh, I've got a bit about Christina Ritchie as well. Um, Christina Ritchie plays Cherry Post uh, in the film. She's famous for playing Wednesday Adams, um, obviously. 86 actor credits to her name. Child actor, of course. She, played Cas- uh, she was in Casper. She's in a... Um, a film with Charlize Theron called Monster, which Charlize Theron won uh, Best um, Actress in a Leading Role, and films like The Ice Storm. She made an on-screen debut at nine, playing alongside Winona Ryder and Cher in the 1990 film Mermaid, which is a very good film, to be honest. And as a Finnish doom metal band called um, Reverend Bazaar, they wrote a song called Goddess of Doom as a tribute to her. So after all, I'm going to give you some critical response now, so... Um, the BBCI Michael Thompson gave this two star two stars and he said knife wielding punks, very helpful angels, scurrying rats and tramps on fire all come and go as the story heads towards its never in doubt conclusion. <laughs> wow. Uh, New York Times, Elvis El I think that no, I can't remember <laughs> I can't read my own writing. New York Times is um Elives Mitchell said eventually Bless the child is ter- is tiresome. Letterbox now, so Letterbox gives uh, an overall score of two point two to Bless the Child. A couple of reviews here are Bennett Weber gave it half a star and said, "I think uh, this will offend anyone who believes in anything." <laughs> Erin L gave this three and a half stars and said, uh, "Plot good, actors good, emo slander bad." And then finally, Nicholas Patterson gave this three stars and said, "Just like the Omen on Opposite Today." So, after all that, this is your first time on, on coming to the show. I haven't watched the film at this moment. I'll, I'll just give you a massive information dump. And then, 
I'm going to give you what I expect from doing research and obviously getting the DVD and reading the DVD and seeing all the artwork and that. That's what I like to do. Give you give you all this information and then we have an expectation. So the expectation is, I mean, it's a straight up sort of chosen one, good versus evil, you know, averting the apocalypse type story with a sort of omen, exorcist, rosemary, baby's vibe. I mean, of course it won't be that, but that's the I think that's the vibe they'll want to sort of promote in this. Plus it proudly displays it as an executive producer credit from the guy who produced the omen, whose name I didn't write down. That's terrible of me, but never mind. The guy who produced the omen also produces this, so yeah, they're, they're proudly presented, they're proudly um, displaying that. This was released about the same time as films like End of Days and The Devil's Advocate and films like that where, where horror sort of took a turn into action film as well you know you got Arnold Schwarzenegger in End of Days and, and that film is trying to be a horror film and trying to be an action film at the same time so I've got a feeling that this is going to have the same sort of thing uh, there's going to be loads of safe Satanism iconography in this so it's stuff that it, it looks scarier than it is um, just to give it some gravitas I think I might be wrong on that you know it's going to have a soundtrack full of dark orchestral strings, I think, with some, uh, you know, there'll be some well-decorated churches because that's what the thing was. Because Baz Luhrmann had done it at this point with Romeo and Juliet, so everybody was jumping on the bandwagon from, you know, around about the turn of the millennium like. I mean, the first bit of bullshit straight away is the diagnosis of um, an, autis- an autistic child, an autistic baby, one week old. Bullshit, that is absolute bullshit. You can't diagnose a baby. It's like after about eight months, I think I read. So, not holding out much hope or expectation with this. I hope I'm wrong. If you're returning to the podcast, you know exactly what's going to happen now. If not, well, as I said, I haven't watched the film. So, what we're going to do now is we're going to break and have an intermission while I go and watch the film. So we're, so we're back. I've just watched the film. If you intend on watching 2000's Bless the Child, massive spoilers from here on in. I am going to talk about the whole film from start to finish. So uh, you have been warned, spoilers from here on in. So my initial reaction, I mean, it's fucking boring. That's basically what this is. It's it's ridiculous. And it's, you know what? I wish it was ridiculous. I'm saying ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. It's just boring. There's nothing new in this film. There's nothing, you know, at, at all that... that that kept me entertained, other than Kim Bassinger's brilliant fucking zero to 100 acting in, in two seconds. Other than that, it's very forgettable. But we'll break the plot, we'll break the plot down now. So, straight away, Ian Holmes' turn, name turns up in the opening credits, and I thought, oh, he's another one of those English actors not to be trifled with. He's always treacherous him. But he's, his name didn't... It, didn't turn up till till like I put the film on. There's lots of foreboding, foreboding orchestral, you know, um, shifts, and there's there's a monk chanting over um, sort of revolving camera work over s- stone gargoyles in New York. And then we meet Maggie. Uh, who is riding a bus home, and uh, it's Christmas time. Uh, and a random lady tells uh, tells her that someone special is coming. Yeah, of course there is. It's Christmas time. Santa's coming. That's always the best thing about Christmas. Anyway, uh, Maggie gets home uh, where we see her sister. Jenna is waiting for her. 
uh, in the cold and she has a little baby obviously Cody they go into the apartment where Maggie lives and there's lots of questions you know Jenna's got no answer for she doesn't know who the baby's father is Jenna oversteps her mark by saying about Maggie's husband walking out leaving her and she gets a slap for her trouble after bringing up the foul marriage sort of thing and and then she brings up about her sister having multiple miscarriages here's a clip you gave birth on drugs are you insane answer me what what do you want me to say that i'm not perfect like you i'm not i didn't say i was perfect but if i had a daughter I wouldn't let her be born a drug addict. She's not strung out, okay? I, I took her to the clinic and they said it was something else. What something else? I don't know. You have a child. If you don't give a damn about yourself, at least you have to care about her. Why? Because you're her mother. Gee, what's wrong, Max? Are you a little pissed that maybe there is one thing I can do better than you after all? After all this, anyway, Jenna just ups and leaves and leaves Cody with Maggie. Obviously, we're about 10 minutes into the film at this. Kim Kim Bassinger is completely jarlo acting. It's over the top. It's, it's really... I don't know what direction she was receiving, but it was horrendous. Anyway, so we follow a montage of Cody growing up. There's birthdays, the school... We end up at a hospital, Cody having tests, which was very exorcist for me. It reminded me of, of the moment where Reagan is, um, she's got all the things on her head and that sort of thing. And Maggie is talking to the doctor and she said, um, she says, I used to think autism, uh, I used to think it was autism, but now I'm not so sure. Not so sure. What's it going to fucking be then? Anyway, she goes on to say, it's like she's listening to something. <sighs> It's your fucking acting love because he's so fucking loud. We jump three years more in time and uh, we see Cody is at a Catholic church. A Catholic church runs special school. What? Okay. And we see Cody doing some wicked spins with the plate um, while, the lun- while the nuns just pay all the kids no fucking attention whatsoever. On the bus, uh, Maggie uh, reads a paper with um, a headline, fourth, a fourth child murdered, as we see these angry goth youths uh, looking suspicious. So then we witness um, this bald man with a um, shitty fucking symbol tattooed abduct a young kid. Um, now after saying he's after special boys and showing him his puppies in a black van, he fucking does show his puppy in the back of this van. I mean, and the other thing is in this moment, what's this six-year-old kid doing out on his fucking own in the middle of New York City? He's down an alleyway as well. Where the fuck are his mum and dad? Nobody picked this up when they were writing the script. I don't understand this. I don't know any six-year-old other than, you know, in very poorly underdeveloped countries who are out on their fucking own. Especially in New York City, it's ridiculous. On the way home, anyway, Cody um, gets spooked by a rat. Chekhov's rat, that is, by the way, people. Uh, Maggie leaves Cody with Maria, uh, who is the, who is the, I'm guessing, like nanny or um, babysitter, and goes to work. And we see that Cody's powers start to man- manifest themselves uh, in a snow globe. She sort of creates a whirlpool. Enter Jimmy Smith, Agent Travers. Um, he's an FBI agent who uh, has been asked to join the investigation into these four missing uh, young children, and he's from the Occult Murders Division. What? There's an occult... Okay. Who knew? There's an occult murders division in in the FBI. Anyway. um, And he was nearly a priest as well. Well, That's handy, isn't it, really? 
Anyway, they ask him um, not to tread on toes um, as a fifth child has been found murdered. He looks at the body and has the same, and it has the same tattoo on his arm as the bald abductor. Uh, for a moment, I thought they were going to show the body of the child, and f- thankfully they don't, because I think I'd have switched it off at that point. Cody's at school. And she does some never-mentioned-again cryptic drawings. And uh, a bird flies into the window as she's doing this. Uh, the kids go out to see this dead bird. And Cody uh, rocks back and forth with the, the bird in her lap. And brings it back to life. Not one of the nuns, and Maggie showed, showed up at this point to pick her daughter up, notice this or give a flying fuck that these kids have come outside and have picked up a dead bird nobody i don't know what the fuck the parents are doing or any adults are doing in this film it's just like let the kids get on with it it's fine it's the fucking things flowed into the window so it's just broke its neck they can play with that don't yeah don't worry about playing with balls and she's just gonna play with some fucking carrion birds it's fine ridiculous anyway so the bird comes back to life and fucks off as they're doing all this the nuns maggie none of them notice this shifty fucking black van that with the bald man just, just lingering about these kids at this fucking church what Fucking stupidness. Anyway, Maggie's at work and she treats Christina Ritchie's uh, cherry post. She says her friends shot her up to try and keep her dependence on the meth and and they put her in the ICU. She says, uh, you look like Jenna. And uh, more great acting from Kim Bassinger. Kim Bassinger in this film, she goes from zero straight the way to 100. There is no nuance in it. You know, she's normally talking, you know, I'm just going to get a cup of coffee and then she's... <gasps> tell me like that and there's nothing in between there's nothing there's no there's no gradual you know it's just turn the fucking volume all the way up that's it cherry gets cryptic and, and then she says don't let them don't let them take the little girl who you know probably the bloke in the black van you didn't see 10 fucking minutes ago anyway maggie goes home and uh, tries to find out what happened to um to christina richie's character cherry and uh, she's uh, gets disappointed and um she said that she's run off She's disappeared, and they've taken it, and the paperwork's gone missing as well. Fuck me, so this hospital's a piece of shit as well. We see Maggie use dial-up dial internet to pay for um, Cody's special school fees, and these special school fees leave her $244 overdrawn. The fee for the school is $1,200. For what? I need to know what, what this $1,200 covers, because those fucking nuns do nothing. They literally walk them out in their fucking penguin outfits, ignoring all these fucking kids, letting them do shit what they fucking want to do, go out and molest fucking dead birds, and draw fucking horrible little pictures, and spin plates. They don't give a shit about these kids at all, but they're going to fucking reap $1,200 a month out of fucking old um, Maggie here. So Maggie falls asleep, and um, she gets awoken by Cody screaming, so she runs through an apartment, leaving the dial-up internet on, and she opens Cody's bedroom door, uh, which is absolutely overrun by rats. Really awful-looking CGI rats, like the Robin Williams Jumanji-type animals. And they scratch and jump in her hair and do all this shit, and then they um, when they scratch um, at, at Maggie's hand, and when she wakes up at the computer, it's all been a dream. But then Cody screams, and she goes in, and um, she, see, she sees that um, Cody's had the same dream as, as she's had. And there, is, there are actually scratches on her hand. And, and Maggie remarks to this, uh, this revelation of uh, a scratch on her hand. She goes, oh, that's it. The, 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 the obvious thing is here. She gets hurt in this dream she has with Cody. And it's never brought up. It's never addressed again. 
and you know obviously this this director's got background in some Nightmare on Elm Street stuff, so he's bringing that over to this. Anyway, we move on. The next day, Maggie tells Maria she's taking Cody shopping. What the fuck, Maggie? You were overdrawn last night, and now you've decided to take Cody shopping, and you're a single parent nurse. So, A, how the fuck are you affording this lovely apartment? B, a private special school. And see a fucking nanny. Last time I checked, I'm pretty sure that American nurses don't get paid a fucking princely sum. But somehow you manage to... And it's in New York City as well, people. It's not exactly like it's fucking... You know, it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's in New York fucking city and she's got a nice apartment. It's like a tenement almost. It's ridiculous. Fuck knows what. She must be really, really good. She must be like a fucking surgeon nurse or something like that. On their shopping trip, uh, Cody wants to stop at Maria's church, which is on the way home. And uh, they go in and while Maggie stares at the stained glass um, windows, Cody just wanders the fuck off because every fucking adult in this film doesn't give a shit about children. And um, she finds that in the remembrance candle bit, you know, where you light a candle for your, your lost loved ones. And um, all the glasses, none of the lights, are, none of the uh, tea lights are lit, and then all the glasses start to tingle, and then all of the tea lights ignite. And Ky- Cody cries over Jesus. Here's a clip. The scene abruptly ends. They get home and we uh, we see that Jenna is waiting for them. She's finally come back and uh, she's got this new husband. He's a famous self-help guru, Eric Stark, played by Rufus Sewell. No, no relation to the saviour of the snap, Tony, by the way. They say they've just got back from honeymoon and they want to take Cody. She tries to give Cody a present who doesn't accept it and says that there's something still wrong with her. I thought she'd have grown out of it. Well, I'll tell you what, mom of the year. Don't fuck off. Look after your child. Then, you know, when you turn up and you're a fucking stranger trying to force a present on your your child, you won't be such a fucking prick. Um, At least at this point, Maggie does call her on it. And she says uh, she's special and she's certainly not deaf. Fair, fair. It's a nice bit... (laughs) It's a toned-down bit of acting for yeah, Kim Bassinger, to be honest, that moment. Anyway, so um, Jenna's nanny, one of Eric's fucking lackeys, comes up from the car and she looks a bit, um, you know, she looks like a neighbour from Rosemary's Baby, uh, you know, the apartment next door, and somewhere between that and some one of the Adams family-like, and uh, Maggie and Jenna get into the old row of, she's my daughter, I brought her up after you dumped her with the, like, like, her, like luggage. 
And, you know, while this is going on, the nanny manages just to take Cody. No, no fucking about it, just, just full on fucking kidnaps her. Maggie goes um, to the police, who are no help whatsoever, could not give a fucking shit that this kid has been taken and, and been fucking stolen. And, and she meets Travers, who breaks down the, uh, the evil that is Eric Stark. And basically, he's like a pound, his entire fucking self-help guru, you know, um, cult is what it is. He's basically just a poundland Scientology. Um, and we find out that uh, the murdered kids share the same birthday. It's the same as Cody's. Of course it fucking is. Um, Maggie goes to Stark Tower. That's exactly what it is, people. It's Stark Tower. And um, goes on a tour of the building and the facility. Again, nobody's got any follow-up in this. They couldn't give a fucking shit. Of course she's going to come there, but they don't give a bollock. Anyway, she asks the guide if she can talk to Eric. But he says, oh, no, what you'll be able to do is you'll be able to message him on their intranet. You know, their sort of in, interbinding messaging service uh, within their computers. And this whole scene amounts to fucking nothing because she doesn't send him a message. They could have been cut from the film and you would have not fucking missed it at all. It amounts to fucking nothing. Maggie gets home. There's a voicemail um, to meet Cherry. And she goes to meet Cherry at this diner, you know, where Christine, uh, Richie's character. And um, we get this. Cherry, where is she? Do you believe in the devil? Literally? Of course not. Well, Eric does. And so do the sick fucks that are in with him. So would you if you've seen what I've seen. Like what? Eric's got this religion. Only it's more like the opposite of religion. I thought it was all bullshit at first, but I've seen it work. They can predict the future. Even make things happen to people. Bad things. What does this have to do with Cody? About a year ago, they all started acting a lot weirder than usual. They started hunting down kids. Six-year-old kids. Boys, girls. But they all had to be born on this certain date. They'd take each kid and put them through this test. And if they failed, they'd kill them. The slaughter of the innocents, they called it. She tells Maggie that Eric and the organization are responsible for hunting and killing the kids. The slaughter of the innocent is what she calls it. Eric's going to change Cody to be the evil, uh, to be evil like him. Uh, at this point, Cherry is chased out the diner by the evil goth kids that are uh, working for the Poundland fucking Scientology period, um, self-help guru Eric Stark. And uh, Maggie goes after them uh, and ends up in a subway. She gets a smack to the head and comes to, to see Cherry being fucking attacked by these kids and probably being bit the shit out of. And at this point, some of them turn into like winged demons, like, like giant bats. Uh, Maggie gets thrown onto a train track and narrowly escapes the subway train. As she gets out, she finds the lifeless Cherry sitting in a chair. As she tries to rouse her, her head falls off. They fucking cut her head off, is what they did. Maggie's in hospital with the worst headdressing I have ever fucking seen in my life. I'm a, I'm a trained first aider. These people are professionals, apparently. I don't know what the fucking hell. I did, didn't, did nobody ever see this? Did nobody look at this and go, that's a really bad dressing, we need to really sort that out? You know, get... Have we got the first aider on? It was fucking awful. It had come straight off, that's the thing. You know, she's got a bump on the head, it'd just come straight off. There'd be no pressure on there, there'd be blood everywhere. Travers stops by and gives her... Um, and she gives him shit about... Uh, not being straight with her about uh, 
Eric Stark. Travers is at his wit's end and um, prays to the Lord. And then a cleaner turns up and uh, drops this little gem. Lord, I could use a little help here. Oh, sorry, you're alone here? Yeah. Look, if I'm disturbing you. Nah, that's okay, I'm uh, done for night. Oh, man. I don't know how you do this. What? This kind of work. Day after day. It's got to wear down a man's spirit. Worst thing is knowing that he's still out there. And we're running out of time. Well, you'll catch him. I got a good feeling about this. You do, huh? You're wrong about one thing, though. What's that? You're not working alone tonight. A good man is never alone in this world. He then instantly disappears. Was he an angel? Fuck knows. That's what I'm going to say. Fuck knows. Maggie breaks out the hospital and uh, goes to the rough part of town and has visions of more bad CGI'd winged demons. But there's a gorgeous apartment in this bad side of town. And uh, uh, what? Is it... Uh, what? It's got a rundown exterior, but it's lovely inside. I mean, it has some great views of the city as well. It's fucking strange. Uh, Jenna lets Maggie in, but Eric turns up with his special kind of nondescript evil. And we see uh, his footman is the child killer from earlier in the film. Uh, Maggie has a gun given to her by Cherry, and uh, she should have shot him as soon as she saw him on site, but... She doesn't shoot him, she just points the gun at him. And um, she pulls the, the, the gun on Eric to shoot him, and um, who is full of confidence and goes all fucking Elpra Palpatine on her and says, doesn't it feel good, all the power? And Maggie pulls the trigger, but somehow Eric has all the bullets. Never explained. There's no, like, you know, raising or anything. It's just like, she pulls the trigger, there's no bullets. He's holding the bullets in his hand. So he must be evil, right? He then chloroforms Maggie and she wakes up in a car driving the wrong way on a bridge. I mean, what? How the fucking hell does the mechanics of this work? She's driving the wrong way across... How the fuck did she get there? How the fucking hell did they put her in charge of this car? How is she driving this fucking thing straight? None of this scene works at all. I I don't fucking understand how the mechanics of it work at all. Anyway, so... In between waking up and sort of gain control of this car, it drives off the edge of the bridge and Maggie is sort of teetering on the edge and then this fucking big, heavy, muscly, fucking trucker-looking guy comes over and um, saves her, pulls her out of the car and then instantly disappears. Another angel? Fuck knows. It's not this. It's not explained. Nothing. And then uh, as the car plummets into the river, it fucking explodes. <sighs> okay. Uh, Maggie calls Travers and uh, he says, oh, they thought she was dead. He doesn't fucking care. He just goes, oh, I'm, I'm amazed you're alive. Just, does, you know, that's it. And she says, oh, keep it that way. So, you know, she can sort of go and spy on Eric. Anyway, uh, there's more evilness from Eric. Uh, he tells Cold- Cody she's special and asks her, uh, do you love God? Or is it because you think you're supposed to? Uh, he takes her to see this homeless man who is uh, suffering and um, says that God has forsaken him. The one he serves wouldn't abandon uh, wouldn't abandon him by the devil. He draws a symbol on the floor. He gives a man a box of matches and gives him a t- can of petrol 
to sort of end his life. And um, the man strikes a match to, to burn himself. But uh, Cody blows it out and walks away. And the man feels better about it all. So Cody leaves with the evil babysitter. And Eric loses his shit and burns him anyway. Another non- I'm not explaining this film very well. Because it's, yeah. It, it's a fucking nothing film, that's why. Um, Maggie goes to church. And um, this random nun who we've never seen before seems to know exactly what's going on in every turn. And um, apparently, um, she say, she says she knows a guy. So the nun takes her off to meet Ian Holm, uh, who is a wheelchair-bound guy. I have no fucking clue about this at all. And um, it turns out this nun was Cody's, inverted um, commas, teacher. Uh, okay, well, we know what the teacher's like at this school. They don't fucking care, so fuck knows where she came from. Anyway, he tells her Cody is the, Cody's the chosen one and she has to face the last temptation. Blah, 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 blah. Fucking chosen one bullshit. They hatch a plan to get Cody back and wait for it, people. This is the best... This is the fucking... Listen to this for a plan. She knows she's got a dentist appointment tomorrow, so she'll go along and take Cody back. I'm not even fucking joking. That's the plan. That is the whole fucking plan. (sighs) Travers goes uh, to the site of this burnt homeless man and and finds the symbol on the floor. And uh, they dust for prints. It's a druid rune spell. Straight out of the 16th century. I think we know how it started. How long will it take your forensics lab to get prints off of that? Calling a favor a couple of hours, maybe. We're out of time on this, Frank. It's Easter Eve. We have Stark's prints on file from a drug bus in 82. If they match... If they match, I'll get you a warrant on this devil-loving bastard before lunch. Maggie goes to the dentist and um, easily snatches Cody back. Unbelievably easy, to be honest. You know, where's the safeguard in here again? It's early 2000s, apparently. Nobody gives a shit about fucking missing kids. The evil babysitter gives chase and uh, kills the priest who's uh, waiting for, for Maggie as a priest... It's another fucking subplot. He goes nowhere. Just some, some random priest who was helping Ian home and then helping Maggie's character. He sits in a car outside waiting for her to turn up with the kid. And she's fucking... She pokes him in the eyes with some knitting needles. This is the most gruesome part of the film. And it's a fucking nothing scene. And it's what we're talking like 50... What, an hour and 15 minutes into the film. Most gruesome part of the, of the film. And it's not even done, handled that well, to be honest. So Maggie and Cody get to the car and realise that this guy's dead. So they go on the run. And they narrowly escape uh, the evil babysitter by jumping onto a train. Which is, door is held again by one of those fucking disappearing angel types. And as soon as the door's shut, the evil babysitter turns up. And as she goes to jump on, she turns into this strange fucking hag. What? Uh, nobody else see this shit. Uh, the police search Eric's uh, loft and building because his 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 his, his fingerprints obviously match to the uh, the prints they found at the the scene of the dead guy, the dead homeless man. Um, Cody and Maggie head for this convent in Vermont, but they are already being tailed by the Satan by the Satan youth at a truck stop. Cody hugs a sick young girl. I think the understanding in this scene is. She's trying to cure her of her illness, of her disease, but I don't know. Anyway, Maggie triggers that, um, or Ma- Maggie twigs that they're being they're being followed, and um, we have a car chase that ensues. Uh, they manage to pull over a cop car, 
but the when the cop gets out the car to come and see Maggie, the bad guys just running the fuck over, and and then they snatch Cody. We're running up to the end now, people. I don't know. This has been a weird one. So the the Satan youth steal Cody, and while this is going on, the police turn up an upstate address for Eric. Unbelievably, it's not far from where they stole Cody and where they were off to Vermont. It's literally like ten miles. So, what are the chances, eh? What are the chances? Anyway. Maggie calls Travers and um, they meet up uh, and they go. They head off to this compound. I'm, I'm skipping over a bit of plot here because it's fucking pointless. At the compound, Eric is getting more sadistic and Cody spins some plates without um, touching them. While we see the nun who was trying to help Maggie, they, they rally and pray for some reason. Uh, the police go to the compound and he, and all the backup on the way there goes missing. Ooh, spooky or some shit. They probably just took a wrong turn in the mist. That's all I was thinking. Anyway, they end up down this dirt track. It turns out uh, it turns out that this is the night for Cody's ascension to be in something other than what she is. It's all very fucking perfunctory, this, to be honest. Uh, Maggie and Travers enter the compound because they're not going to wait for backup because fuck it, why not? Let's go and take on these Satanists. And they break into the compound. Uh, Maggie sees a white figure and thinking it's Cody. It's the ridiculousness of horror films, this. Your your young granddaughter has been stolen by these Satanists, but he's running around this compound on her own after she's... Ju- what? And you think that's... What? Fucking whatever. Th- thinking it's Cody, she gives chase. And it turns out, fucking ironically, sorry, it turns out magically not to be Cody. Well, of course not. It's one of Satan's, uh, you know, the Satan youths. While she's chasing this bloody Cody effigy, the Satan's youth beat the shit out of Travis in the house. Maggie's chasing these Satan youths and it culminates in being led to this goth-looking church on this compound. Again, why is this church on a compound? In the middle of Vermont. Oh. And uh, she has visions of, of fucking demons circling. Okay. Uh, she catches up with um, fake Cody. The church is all set for uh, a demon ceremony. And there's some bad CGI with the devil sitting on a throne. Cody is on an altar. And Eric um, asks her to accept the devil. She refuses. And uh, she pulls. Uh, and so he pulls a gun on Maggie. Because Maggie's in there now. And. Finally, the FBI turn up, and there's a big fucking gunfight, and shit starts setting on fire. Maggie stabs Eric and uh, runs to Cody, only to be shot twice by Eric. Once in the back and, and once in the chest. Then Travers shoots Eric. I think he shoots him in the in the chest, I, th- I think. Uh, Maggie lies dead, and then Cody summons angels to bring Maggie back to life. Um, the church burns, but not before Maggie saves Jenna. They all manage to get out just before the church bellows fucking massive fireball. And then we go, after this, flash forward to a year in, in uh, forward in time, and we're back in New York City. Cody wants to hear the church bells, and we see one of Satan's youths come to kill Cody. But when she gives him a look, he turns and runs off. The end. My sum up and reaction of this film, as you can tell from reading through, uh, my notes are a bit scattered because th- th- this film is fucking. This film is boring, and it's weird, and it just goes all over the place. And there's th- plot lines that make no fucking sense. There are scenes that could have been cut straight out of the film. Don't know why they're there. Don't know why they're. But you know the scene where she asks the guy if she can speak to Eric, and he tells her about the internet, and she can use this to talk to him. 
but nothing happens. She doesn't give a shit. She doesn't bother. I don't understand that one bit. You know, I was expecting a straight-up good versus evil story, and it, it sort of is that, but it's also boring. And, you know, it's all over the fucking place. It definitely fits in with that late 90s, early 2000s niche of horror films that are actually action films. This is very light on action, to be honest. But it, it's not dark or scary enough to be a horror film, but it's not action-packed enough to be an action film. It's really the low end of both, you know. Um, for the life of me, I don't understand where sixty million pound or sixty million dollars of this film went. Is it sixty million or sixty-five? Yeah, the budget is sixty-five million dollars on this film. I can't see where they spent sixty-five million unless it was getting Kim Basinger in, and then she does this performance. This performance is to the back of the room every second. There's a couple of times where she's just, you know, oh, I'm just going to take Cody out, and it's fine. But every time she's asked to do any sort of heavy lifting, any sort of any sort of emotional weight or react to something, she's straight to 20. And it's a bad 20. It's not even a good 20. It's not even a, like a Nicolas Cage entertaining 20. It's just, it's just there. I mean, the other thing about this film is that the tone of it is all over the place. They don't commit to the Chosen One storyline or an evil cult storyline or a, you know, Love Will Conquer All. They just blend it all together and it just everything just gets washed out fucking grey you're not really sure what's going on it's it's trying to be like a subversion of stuff like the exorcist and rosemary baby where you get these evil creatures you get you know reagan's infested with um a demon and rosemary's baby is going to bring forth the devil to earth and they're trying to subvert it by by going oh no cody's good and we're going to try and turn her bad and she's not going to because she's always going to be good she's always going to be on the side of 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 God and and good like it doesn't really do anything you know it's instead of being the kid who brings on the apocalypse it's not it's the kid who brings life and joy to the world but but he doesn't really do it I mean all the performances throughout the film are completely perfunctory and pedestrian they do they do nothing Sewell isn't really evil enough he you know the the scenes where he is evil I didn't believe a fucking single moment of it he just feels like he's slightly upset. And, you know, it's a, it's a sort of amdram performance. And I like Rufus Sewell. You know, I don't, not be, don't want to beat up on Rufus Sewell at all. Like I said, the minute Kim Bassinger is asked to do anything, more than just deliver a line, it's it's it just jumps to project it as far as you can. The story is a bit like this podcast today, that's how it feels to me. It's, it's boring, it's formulaic. They don't do anything that's remotely scary. I was hoping... I haven't done a horror film for the podcast, and I'll pick this up thinking I've never heard of this film. I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, let's let's try and do this horror film. You know, it looked it looked like a genuine horror film, you know, and it's not, it's not a, a, a genuine horror film at all. They don't, they don't big up the enough of the threat of, you know, the 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 fate of the world being at stake. They don't give a shit about it. There's like oh, this apocalypse. The CGI looks like it's just one somebody's having a bad vision. You know, somebody's fucking banged their head and they got concussion, and this is what they're seeing. But it's never explained. The angels never explained all the way throughout the film. It's like, so are they helping, or are they just people who were there at the right time and then they've run off? I think that's what they lean into, but they never explain it or never lead you to believe that that is the universe you're in. Like the fucking school. The school Cody goes to is so ridiculous. I mean, you heard, you heard me talk about it. It's just ridiculous. 
technically the film is pieced together nicely if there's so much stuff in there that doesn't need to be. The CGI is really, really dated and it's really bad. It was bad for 2000. They could have done a lot better than that. There's, there's nobody running on anything but like second gear in this film. You know, and that's throughout the cast, crew, everybody. They, they just turned up and did this film. And that's pretty much it. So we'll, we'll move on to the verdict now. Gentlemen of the jury, we reach the verdict. Considering all the facts and arguments presented by both counsel, and after careful deliberation, the jury will retire and consider the evidence. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached the verdict? Very judge! So... This this film is boring. It doesn't hold a match to you know the films that come of the same time, stuff like uh, Constantine and End of Days, like I said, Devil's Advocate, all those sort of films. You'll forget it in a day. I have forgot pretty much all of it if I hadn't got it written written down in front of me the the plot and that. I could have picked out moments, but it's only because I knew I was doing a podcast. If I wasn't doing a podcast, this film would be nothing. I wouldn't even bother thinking about it. If you're looking for a scary film, tell you what, go and watch. Go and watch the new the new uh, Mackenzie Crook Wurzel Gummidge because there's scarier things in that than there is in this. I've got two children under the age of fifteen. I would show them this film. They would be bored to death and they wouldn't care at all. But they certainly wouldn't be scared. There's nothing in this film that's scary at all. All the CGI is just... It's stuff you'd see in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I'm being nasty to Buffy the Vampire Slayer because they did that every week and it looked decent. And we're talking Buffy the Vampire Slayer was 1996. So fuck knows what they spent all this money on because the CGI is terrible. I mean, the trailer... You heard the trailer at the start. The trailer puts two jump scares in that aren't really jump scares. They just turn up in the film. There's, There's a lot of plot that goes nowhere, like I said, and it just needed to be taken out, trimmed. Kim Basinger probably wouldn't be able to tell you what this film's about, but she would know what she spent the check on, absolutely. But she doesn't know a way around this set at all. So, after all that, I would give this... I think I'm being very generous when I say I'd pay 25p for this. Um, I was robbed of 75p because there's no way I'd, I'd do anything else. So anyway, we, we've reached the end of this. I'm amazed this took me this long, because normally when I'm on my own, it's about half an hour. But yeah, so that is Bless the Child from 2000. You don't need to see this film. And when you're in CEX, or you're in a charity shop, or you're somewhere and you see this film, you'll just go, oh, Wayne said that was absolutely fucking shit. And you'll buy it anyway, just to make sure that I'm right. I'm telling you now, it's not even funny. That's the worst thing about it. She didn't even win the Razzie. That's how bad she was. She wasn't even good enough to win the fucking Razzie. Or bad enough to win the Razzie. That's that's the worst thing about it. It was just fucking bland. Anyway, I digress. Thanks for coming along. Thanks for listening to episode 23. Please subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, those sort of places. I'm not everywhere, to be honest. It's, um, it's a very small podcast I'm trying to run here. You can find me on Twitter at the One Pound Movie Podcast. You can find me on Facebook. I'm not reacting on Facebook. I'm better on Twitter. But if you hit me up on Facebook, I will get back to you. And that's pretty much it. So um, I've been Wayne. You've been listening to the One Pound Movie Podcast. Thanks again. Bye-bye.